Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up growing up awesome. Oh, I screwed that up. We still, you know, you know, you know the intro. We're part you of the, the Dorkening. Deal. You know the deal. We're part of the Dorkening and Inebriart Podcast Networks. And as always, we're brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for. I am your host. My name's TV's Parasite Steve. And with me, as always, are my compatriots, TV's Nintendo. Hello. Hi, TV's Nintendo. Sorry. <laughs> and TV's 8-Bit Alchemy. Although I forgot to actually change my name on it to TV's 8-Bit Alchemy. So, uh, hi. Thanks for making me an honorary member. You know, the the, luckily, <laughs> most people are just listening to this and they don't even know that. Nice. Well, there even, is a video. And for even, you listening, you're missing out on the visual gag. Yes, that's very true. Uh, well, tonight, you know, if I'm a little nervous, you know, you guys got to cut me a break because tonight we have uh, a true childhood hero of uh, all of ours on the show tonight. Uh, just absolutely so excited tonight. Our guest is a legendary comedian and writer, best known as TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater 3000. He's the author of more than six books, and currently he performs with Trace Beaulieu in the monthly live streaming movie riffing show, The Mads Are Back. Locked tonight in the brig, it's Frank Conniff. Welcome to the show, Frank. Uh, hey, hi. Thanks for imprisoning me. I appreciate it. Oh, you know, no, absolutely no problem. We like to imprison people that we like it's, for absolutely no good reason. It's an honor just to be incarcerated. <laughs> there is less human feces in there than there was this morning because well, I cleaned it right before we started recording. I did that just for you, Frank. Well, there's more human feces now that I'm here, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you for replenishing our stock. It's good to have. Be that as it may, I, I, I trust you're comfortable down there in the brig. <laughs> I make a nice living. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, take while you're down there, take full advantage of all the amenities we've laid out. You know, there's moxie and slurm in the mini fridge and the chaise is actually quite comfortable. The upholstery is uh, only 70 percent polyester. The other 30 percent was actually wove from the silken locks of Arch Hall Jr. Oh, wow. That's that's quite uh I, I, you know, at my age, I'm more of an Arch Hall Senior kind of person, but uh, <laughs> but that's that's that works for me. Now Arch Hall Junior looks like Arch Hall Senior. Yeah, right. I, right. I would imagine he's, he's evolved in his old age. Um, so once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you are here to promote one of your books. You have a brand new book out, mm -hmm. um, and we're going to get to that in a second. First, I want to talk about your awesome current show because I am such a big fan of the Mads Are Back. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. 
I love it so much. Uh, we we catch it all the time. Um, I you know, first of all, like we just recently had Chris Gersbeck on the show, and mm-hmm. uh, and he's a great guy. Really, yep. really great interview. Really awesome. Yep. We had a great time with Chris. And uh, and he was telling us a bunch of stuff about how the show got started, and I'd love to hear some some things from your perspective too, because mm-hmm. it really seems like you were the genesis of this whole thing. I was the genesis, and the uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and the Yes, <laughs> and the King Crimson of the whole thing. Wow, man, that's progressive of you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Oh, I forgot to mention Gentle Giant, or maybe I did. Oh, Gentle Giant, yes. <laughs> nice. Not the Jolly Green Giant. That's for no. peas. And nobody, nobody thinks of Star Castle, but to be fair, they only had three albums. So, mm-hmm. um, right. so your most recent episode on the Mads Are Back was A Night of Shorts, number, uh, was number 11. Right. And I have to say, Frank, this, this has changed the way I think about Mylar. <laughs> that was uh we riffed like a 22 minute uh movie about mylar it was it was an epic short most of the shorts we do aren't more than 10 minutes this just this guy wouldn't shut up about mylar and uh <laughs> so much to say. it was a bit of an ordeal let me tell you but uh we made it through and um you know it, it never ended it just yeah. it <laughs> just could not stop uh-huh. and and for the first I don't know, 15 minutes of that 20 minutes, he's not really saying any actual uses, like, specifically. He's sort of being very broad about the yeah. types of things you could do with Mylar. Yeah, it's and, and, he, and as I pointed out, he, um, he never even mentions what Mylar ended up being. Its greatest use was for geeks to preserve comic books. You know? <laughs> right, that's right, you said <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. True. <laughs> Oh yeah. man! I so use mylar funny. bags at work. You know they're mm. not gas permeable, but mm. uh, I feel like mylar does not require a twenty-two minute epic. But you know, <laughs> you guys just worked with it. You just yeah, did it. we did. did what we needed did. to be done. Eight, yeah, so, TV's eight bit alchemy is a scientist in real life. We should we should. Oh, is that, that true? I do science, just like you once oh. did on TV. <clears throat> well. I think I think real science is a little more impressive, so uh, than the fake oh, science that we did. But uh, I'm Hardly. very the I'm, number uh, of eyes on me minimal. The number of eyes well, on TV's Frank, you've made an impact, sir. Well, th- I mean that's just the the way life is: is that people who do actual science get no recognition, and people who dress up in funny costumes and dance around the stage <laughs> get their names known. You know. Well, yeah. you know, m- maybe, maybe eight bit. You should, uh, you should graft that butt of a cat onto the butt of a dog, uh-huh. and then you know, do do really important work. You, you're going to get noticed. Make, out, make the opposite cat dog. Is that what you're alluding to? Because everyone wonders why is cat dog the front half of both a cat. Right. Dog? Where where are the butts? Where's the dog? butt version of cat dog that only well, poops and doesn't it was, talk? It was it was uh, Doctor Forrester's experiment in uh, college or something. Could very well be. Could very well yeah, be. I remember that one. Um, so, so also, you guys just did before uh, before Night of Shorts number eleven. You guys had a a very off off format big event. Oh you yeah, guys yeah, did. yeah. And I definitely wanted to mention that because it's it was so fun. You guys did Dark Star, right? Um, and interactive in, movie 
Right. And in talking about it with Chris, uh, we kind of all were just sort of like, you know, spitballing and, you know, maybe we're wrong. So, so definitely tell us, tell us if we are, but it seemed to all of us that this was not only your first time riffing yourself, mm-hmm. something you were actually, you actually starred in you and trace, but also, uh, the first time you were doing it like without a script seemingly now, I'm sure you've done live events, but yeah, we've done live events where we've improvised. Uh, we, we mainly, uh, prefer to work with a script. It's how, we, yeah. of course, how we always did it on mystery science theater when we did cinematic Titanic live and, mm-hmm. and, and in the Mads are back live too. We always started with a script, although with a lot of, Especially in the Mads are back, there was a lot of um, adding and embellishing and um, improvising. Although we did, um, Trace and I were hired uh, uh, at this great theater in, uh, I think, the Jump Cut Theater in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, okay. H- hired us. Um, they paid uh, to show La La Land, and and they hired us to riff it, and that was that oh, was a, nice, and that was that was an, an improvised riff, and it, and it turned out great. But but this Dark Star was um, uh, was improvised because uh, Trace and I, I think all of us were like, yeah, we'll do this, but don't ask us to lift a finger and put in any effort. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking writing time for this. Yes. All I'm doing oh. is sitting down and watching a movie with a microphone. <laughs> That's that's you're absolutely right. That was a totally our attitude. We're not, you know, and um, because uh, that would have been real work to write to actually <laughs> yeah. write a script for that. But it was yeah. very fun to be reunited with uh, J. Elvis Weinstein and uh, Mary Jo Peel and uh, Bees McKeever. Yeah, um, it, it was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, it was really fun cool to watch event. too. Yeah, and you, you know, it, I think I think if there was a script, it would have made it something that it shouldn't have been. I think that being so raw and so honest allowed you guys to be off kilter in a way that we don't usually get to see you. Like you guys were more like, like you were laughing. Video. Like had, yeah. had you not gotten to For see real, that whole right. movie in forever or ever? Yeah, no, that was the first time I ever saw it in, in any form uh, because wow. because it was originally a CD-ROM and. You know, right. I, I, I've yeah. never, I've never owned, I've never watched a CD-ROM and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't play video games or anything like that. Um, yeah. so, um, so it was the first time I'd literally seen it. And, uh, you know, so it was, it was a fun experience uh, to hang out with those guys and do it. Yeah. It's, it's nice. super cool. It gives it like mm-hmm. a very fun, unique energy of like, mm-hmm. re- it's a reaction video because you're seeing this thing that you're in for the first time and also right. doing just organic riffs on it. Yeah. It's a, it's a real special uh, event fun. that like, yeah, if anyone out there, you know, didn't get to catch our interview with, uh, with Chris Garris uh, if you're catching this one, make a point to go check out yeah. Matt Back's Dark Star episode. It's definitely one not to miss. Yeah. That's the, uh, the Mads are, bre- Mads are back and they brought snacks. That's our episode with that. <laughs> nice. Um, I also wanted to shout out one of my personal episodes that I just loved so much. You guys did the Brain Eaters, and I just I just randomly like this movie a lot. Like mm-hmm. I I don't know. It, it's it's because something that something that Mystery Science Theater has given me um, is the it, it's given me a superpower, which is to enjoy bad movies even if you guys aren't there. Um, on a, on a level, I don't think I would have ever been able to, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there's a charm now 
that I think you had to sort of explain through the presentation of the way you guys did your show. I think it's just sort of, I don't know if it was the point of it, probably not, but that is definitely what it did. did for oh yeah. Me. I, I, uh, I feel <clears> this, I feel the same way about these movies. Um, uh, that that we, we that we watch now, uh, there is a real charm to them, and they're very enjoyable um, in their own way. Uh, they you know they they have a kind, especially like for instance, Ed Wood movies have a have a total yeah. kind of personality to them that are completely unique, and that nobody could could really replicate ever. And um, there's something I. To me, there's something very special about that, and and I, I love uh, Ed Wood's work. You know, I mean, he wasn't, he was, uh, you know, he he lacked certain skills in in terms of writing and and stuff, and but but the movies still really come through, and and he really uh, left a lasting legacy, and and it's a it's a really uh, wonderful thing, I think. I agree, and you yeah. know. Uh, Shout out to uh, our very, very dear friend, Mark Vandervalk, who um, always reads some, he's always up for reading some Ed Wood smut. Uh-huh. We, we, have, we, have, uh, we have this, writing, this uh, reading group that meets a few times a year. We just uh, get drunk and, and read bad stories. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, we swear that, to- that was the, the Oprah book club was like that, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it should have been. Yeah. 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 No, and it's it often does devolve depending on how much booze there has mm-hmm. been consumed. It turns into mystery science theater. But he always reads Edward Smut, and uh, it's it's always it's always a treat. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we're we're fans. But the uh, there's something about the brain eaters. Like it's it's just so silly, and it has like the 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 funniest uh, rocket at the end. Like when they discover the rocket, it's just like a paper towel. It's a giant paper. Uh, like toilet yeah. paper tube, like <laughs> looks like it. This is—I don't know if it was made out of sheet metal or cardboard or what, but oh man, it's just so funny. Yeah, it's fun, and and, and the other thing too is these films, uh, uh, you know, the ones that we do uh, from the fifties or the sixties, um, they're very unselfconscious. They're very sincere, you know, mm. and they're not in on the joke. Um, right. They're they're sincerely. Making what they hope will be a good movie, and, and that and that to me really adds to the uh, to the charm of them. Totally, yeah. Like when you when you have someone who has so much, you know, sincerity and good intention with what they're making, you know, it's like mm-hmm. uh, without without the lens of of things like mystery science theater, you know, you would kind of just judge it at face value and say that it's a terrible movie but like through the lens of comedy and using it as like a basis for you know laughing and enjoying it you're getting a different enjoyment out of it initially and then it kind of teaches you to just appreciate the movie as it is and Mm -hmm. and like of the thing that it made and you're like this is such a very unique trajectory or like any kind of thought process on something you decide to like like it has to go through so many layers but by the end of the day you're like I kind of like these like bad but truly trying movies, and it's like mm-hmm. it, it's just such a surprising thing to feel like. But yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely how I feel too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's yeah, fascinating, I, really. I, I feel the same way with these older movies. Uh, like I actually enjoy these older movies more than modern movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I feel the same way, and 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 the thing about. Some of these films that we do, they're not they're not corporate the way modern films are. They're mm-hmm. not they're they're the result of of people maybe 
thinking, let's do an exploitation film, let's do a horror film, it'll play in a drive-in, uh, the kids will like it or whatever. But it's it's not the result of like a million decisions in a boardroom uh, the way like big studio films are, you mm, know. Right. Um, uh, I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think we we've ever riffed a film that 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 I disliked as much as say uh, Black Adam, for instance. You oh, know? <laughs> you know, uh, yes. I mean these kind of films because like a film like that, and and I know there there are a lot of talented people involved in something like that, but it's also you could tell they just threw in everything they thought would be appealing to people, you know? Totally. And, mm-hmm. and there's, no, there's nothing organic about the process of entertainment in mm-hmm. these films. And, and then they, as a result, they're not entertaining, you know? Mm. Right. Yeah, I think with something like Black Adam, that's like literally the most perfect uh, choice. And mm-hmm. uh, something like that is a good example of, you know, all the money in the world with no soul. Mm-hmm. And something like the Brain Eaters, which is—I'm not saying it's a good movie, but it—it—it right. it, it is. It. Yeah, they—they they had a lot of soul, and they were trying to even—even even when you're struggling with creating what the narrative is, you know, like Ed Wood, his movies were so all over the place. I, I think his best one is—is a—is um, Bride of the Monster because I feel like it has the best, most cohesive story for Ed. Mm-hmm. But like, even if you're can like. You're trying really hard, but you're you're still not quite landing what the narrative is. Even there, you can you can appreciate the soul. It's really going that's there. For They're it's really yeah. trying. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's and they don't have the budget. They don't have all the money. No. The they only have the creativity that that they are. They, you know they have whatever however amount that is, or mm-hmm. however great or little. Like in Ed's case, it wasn't that much, but he really wanted to. Right. Um, and I think that it's literally the polar opposite of something like Black Adam. So it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think a lot of films are not able to be risk takers these days. Mm. And I think this was something I was I was talking to. Yeah, we yeah, uh, this has come up. This is with like video games and stuff too. But like just the concept that like so much you know mass like big budget media now costs so much more money than it right. used to yeah. that now everything is like a risk reward evaluation there's there's so few creators out there that are able to just put out the di- like the actual distilled idea that they want there's mm. always going to be you know these massive you know corporations and things that are influencing stuff because they need it to make a return and so that's why when people ask, like, how come people just keep making the same movies all over the time and people keep making the same games and telling the same stories? It's like, because it's less risky and, and right. people are, are, you know, feeling like it's a little bit more surefire of a bet, which obviously it isn't always at all. Mm. But, um, yeah, it, it does when you when you see, you know, older cinema and, uh, and things like you just there's this sense of daring that is not really around as much. Where like they're just gonna tell you the story that they want to tell you, and they're gonna they're just gonna do whatever mm-hmm. it is, and it might be ridiculous, and it might be totally grounded or whatever. Uh, but I think that like the pe- people were just really trying to do what they had in their heads back then, mm. and didn't have as much uh, you know other influences steering the ship, which is a shame. Um, right, right, yeah. But 
you know interesting it, stuff I, it, though you know it it, it, it is it is a bummer you know something like the brain eaters i mean i don't know how much it cost i don't know what the budget was but it, it could have been ten thousand dollars could have been twenty thousand dollars and at that point maybe that was considered a normal low budget now what's a normal low budget you know i mean even something like rob zombie which is considered low budget and he he spends you know how many millions to make his his movies right. you know I think thir- um, I think thirty million is kind of considered like a mid or low budget film, in right? The studio. Yeah. Okay, uh, so uh, according to IMDb, uh, Brain Eaters was made for thirty thousand, and that was uh, nineteen fifty eight. So and it was considered that, independently made too. That's very low budget, but mm-hmm. you know they did what they they did what they did, and also just saying, some, somebody like Ed Nelson who gets a lot of crap. You know, compared to somebody like Dwayne Johnson, I'm sorry, Dwayne. Dwayne, he seems like a good guy, but I don't know. Like, I think Ed well, Nelson was all right. <laughs> Ed, Ed Nelson was was a good actor, and and he he worked a lot, and he 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 went on from uh, from that. I believe he was a regular on uh, on Peyton Place uh, on TV, and he was in a ton of uh, Quinn Martin guest spots. Um, throughout the 70s. He worked a lot. He was a good actor. Mm. He was in The the Mole Men, right? That's Ed Nelson? Uh, I don't I don't remember, um, but if I know he was in The Brain Eaters. And, and, okay. I, and, and Tra- Trace and I both recognized him from the m- many, many t- TV appearances he did. <laughs> right. Right. You know, he was too, that, that's a good one. That's a good episode you guys did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to I want to transition into your books. You are an author of uh you know you don't you're not just you're not just a one trick pony you you do all sorts of stuff you write it you write tv you write live comedy you write books you're an author so some of your books uh because you have i could find i think like seven or eight i've written nine nine okay so some of the titles are uh billy gillis seven year old screenwriter Mm -hmm. reform school cinderella Mm mm-hmm you're ruining the dystopia for everyone. Actually, that one has an ex- exclamation point at the end. You're ruining the dystopia for everyone, I think is how you're supposed to say that. Uh-huh. 25 Mystery Science Theater 3000 films that changed my life in no way whatsoever. <laughs> that, was, that was my first one. Um, and, uh, and various other ones. Uh, your new one is called Dark Apnea. Mm-hmm. And what I... What I glean from these titles and from reading the synopsis and from reading the and from looking at the covers, it seems like with each book you're playing with a different genre. Is that is that the yeah, case? Yeah, I think that's it's very safe to say that I start with a I start with a genre and then I really just do my own version um, of the you know the the genre is like a jumping off point uh, for mm-hmm. me to just uh, write a bunch of weird stuff and. Um, <laughs> Dark apnea is. Um, uh, I wrote partly because I think one thing our culture is really lacking is uh, superhero stories. Oh, true. So, yeah. um, so I, uh, um, and especially super superhero stories about dark, brooding, um, traumatized uh, superheroes. So, there's just not there's just not that many people out there. No. Yeah. No. So it's, mine it's is um, risky, right? <laughs> dark Dark Apnea is a uh, is, is that kind of superhero, very depressed, um, troubled, um, 
uh, he 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 works in the nighttime and, and but he's very into how d- depressed he is. It's part of part of his uh, vision of himself, and um, it's basically uh, basically I'm giving Batman the get smart treatment in this book. It's 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 like a, a it's like a get smart version of Batman, but it's also in the course of writing it. There's a lot of stuff came up about. Just uh, the nature of unhappiness and depression, and how um, uh, it—you know—some some people have trauma in their lives, and they they struggle to uh, overcome it. He has a, a sidekick superhero, uh, a woman uh, who who whose superhero moniker is unpaid intern, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, She's so, she's someone who's had a genuine trauma in her life, and she's struggled and worked real and has worked really hard to overcome it through through uh, therapy and a, and a lot of stuff. And Dark Apnea is a guy who's hasn't really had any trauma in his life, but he embraces it anyway. He wants it to be a part of of his persona. So there's kind of the contrast between those two characters uh, running through the book. Nice. <clears throat> very cool yeah we've had some you know dark uh i mean obviously you're being facetious we we've had lots so we're drowning in superheroes of course uh-huh. but like you know despite that fact i mean we, you guys guys now you've seen heroes with domino masks you've seen them with face paint and cowls mm-hmm. and capes and hoods when's the last time you saw one fighting crime like third shift in a working cpap mask exactly yeah which yeah, which is and well, once right now which is autobiographical because I uh, I, um, I I have a sleep apnea mask which I don't I should use but I don't and, and I and I find that that's a very hey Frank that's like me I yeah, have one too it's in the other room and I should use it. <laughs> it's an incredibly common thing of like people yeah. who are given these things and they're they're apparently they're really healthy and and can really be very beneficial and. Everybody is like me who uses them like three times and says, screw this. I wanna. I kept waking uh, up with like intensely like sweaty face, you know, like yeah. a different mask. And it's, I was like, God, I just I just don't like this. You know, and, I, was, and I wasn't even sure how much it was doing, but I should get back. <laughs> Frank, let's get back on the train together. Let, uh, well, let's use I, our I, sleep apps tonight. Uh, I'll, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, so, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, so there's those kind of autobiographical um, uh, elements to this uh, um, book, you know. Is that yeah. something that you try to work in with each one of your different books? Well, is- the thing is, is, is I just start off with what I think will be a funny premise for a book. And and then I uh, and would hopefully be a good story. And then I just pursue it and write it and, and see where it takes me. I don't I don't plan out things, but but uh, auto, auto, autobiography it just comes through your at least it comes through my work without me even like self consciously saying this is going to be based on my life. Um, my my previous book to this, which was um, a kids book. Uh, Billy Gillis, seven-year-old screenwriter, and and the plot of that um, is is this kid. His dad is a screenwriter, and the dad uh, has a heart attack, and 
So the kids play, and so because of the heart attack, like the dad is going to lose work and he's not going to be able to support his family. So the kid decides, um, I'm going to get my crayon out and I'm going to write a screenplay and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to help my dad um, uh, and help his situation. And and it was only like after I realized it that I realized that that kind of the main character, Billy, the kid, he kind of in a way was a representation to me of of uh, of all the people who helped me when because uh, I had a heart attack or I had a very bad I had a quadruple uh, bypass operation a few years ago and like so many people were so helpful to me and 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 did whatever they could to, to help me get through that and but but I didn't realize until after I wrote it that that's kind of what Billy represented to me in that book Wow interesting just everyone kind of being able to come together and support you know and just yeah yeah and have whatever they can and yeah and the book kind of has that spirit of uh his his motivation is not to uh, he wants the screenplay to sell and make money but it's not for it's him it's it's for his dad it's it's for his family you know and uh uh and, and this is all within an incredibly silly book i should add that I think is is really the magic of what you're talking about here, Frank. Because you know, it's it's one thing to write something that's completely you know off the walls, and it's another thing to write a book that's very serious. But I feel like with what you're going for, you're using you know comedy as a framework to actually deliver you know legitimate, hard hitting kind of discussions and just address different topics and things like that, which I think makes them land all the better. Because for the reader, you know, you might not be expecting these kinds of turns for how the story's going based on, like you're saying, if it's so silly or so fun, right. I mean, you know, the cover for Dark yeah, Apnea, that's... right? But that's that's really, you know, an incredible combination of things that yeah, I think it's... makes the reader remember it more. Right. Yeah, and, and... and, and I, you know, to me, like in all of my, my books, I'm just trying to write something that's really fun and enjoyable and, and funny and entertaining. And, but as I'm doing that, like stuff from my uh, life comes out, my personality comes through it and, and certain issues do arise out of, out of that. Um, but I, but, but, but my method of working is just to let that stuff come out naturally Perfect. in the midst of just trying to tell uh, the stupidest story. <laughs> All my books are pretty stupid. I should say. <laughs> I should. I should give that a warning. But, that. Uh, well, I have a feeling that definition of stupid is the the Larry Blamire definition of stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Lost Skeleton of Cadavera, but we've had um, we've had Larry Blamire on a couple of times, and uh-huh. he he talks about um, he talks about how stupid is his favorite word. And uh, it's it's not it's not a negative word. It's no, it's I don't very, mean it. I I, I right. don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in just um, I don't know exactly how I mean it, but <laughs> but but if I you know, like you know. I, but I, I like yeah. the idea that they're that yeah. they're kind of stupid. They're kind of stupid, right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. It and, also shows like you know you're not taking yourself too seriously. I mean you are an intensely funny person. Like you, yeah. you make us laugh all the time. So you know, it's like it would be, it would be, you know, surprising if you weren't writing something com- comedic. <laughs> right, but also, right. that like these elements of you in there really yeah, lend the, it like some some legitimacy as well, other than just being dumb. 
yeah, the real stuff, the real stuff just bleeds through and you know, you have, you you don't plan for it. So, so you're a pantser, you're a pantser, which is a definition for a person who pulls everybody's pants down. No. Oh, well, I, you know what? Um, I, if there are any authorities listening right now, mm-hmm. that is not true. I, and that's not why I'm in jail right now for pantsing people. That's right. The brig in, is not for pantsing. Right. But You're in jail because you said yes to an interview. You Exactly. <laughs> I really pulled the wool over on you. Oops. Really got you good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, the, uh, the, you write by the seat of your pants. You don't, you don't plan. And, and, uh, uh, that, that is a very popular, you know, we have a lot of authors come on this show, uh, and I'm a novelist myself and I love talking about, you know, what type of writing, what type of writer you are, what, you know, what's the, the method and, mm-hmm. you know, that's really all very interesting. Let's start with a different genre and you're clearly, you know, exploring all these different genres that you love that you haven't right, tried right. before. You know, like let's let's do something. You know, maybe next time it'll be a western or a, a '40s mm. noir or something like just different you haven't tried before. And you're like, okay, how do I make this me? Yeah, and yeah. but 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 you don't even, uh, or at least I don't even have that moment where I'm like, how do I make this me? I, I just start writing it, it, and and it it comes out. But you know, there's some uh, some writers really like to carefully plan things out and others are more like me just kind of uh have a looser approach uh, for for whichever uh, individual writer whatever works for you is the way to go i That's you know right. I, I i don't um i don't do an outline but you know what an outline is a very practical thing it's 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 a very sensible thing to do um, but I, I'm not really prone to doing sensible things, so <laughs> so I don't yeah. I don't do it. But don't it's it. but but you know I I, I I read about and I I see videos of people talking about, um, especially in screenwriting, people talk about it more of like of, of of outlining and planning everything before you really write, and and that that's not how how I do it, but. Maybe that's the best advertisement for doing it that way. But, no, uh, no, I, I disagree. But, but I think doing it that you know, doing it whichever way is is comfortable for you, whichever feels right to you, uh, however you want to approach it. As long as you're writing, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think I think you got to do it your way. You got to yeah. find your way. Everybody's got to do it their own way. For me personally, I what I love about being a pantser is not only is it fun to see everybody's underpants, but um, it's also it's sort of the joy of like discovery as you go, you know, right. like if you have. Oh, yeah, planned, absolutely. You know, and it's like what you're saying, you know, you're not you're not planning on getting real in that way when you started mm. writing. You just uh-huh. kind of found yourself there and OK, right. well, we're letting this happen. So yeah. and if I end up writing something that has no autobiographical elements to it, that's fine, too. You know, sure. I, it's like I don't. Yeah. um like I said, I'm not I'm not planning it, but but right. but but it's it's almost like kind of impossible for it not to have that, you know. Mm. Right. Very very cool. So, um, guys out there, if you are interested in picking up any of Frank's books, not not all nine are there, but uh, autographed copies are available on dumb-industries.com. That is, of course, dumb-industries. Dumb Industries is is the production company. It puts on the Mads are back, and they sell a bunch of your merchandise. And you, uh, you, you are kind enough to sell personalized, autographed copies. Um, guys, don't don't give your money to the to Amazon. Don't do that. No. Don't, why? Why? Go to Dumb Dash Industries and 
and do it there. Support the support your local creator. That's what I like to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the way we're doing it these days, and uh, people either either way is fine. Mm. Either don't yeah. So either way, guys, mm. it, it support the Zon too, I guess. But mm. but you won't you won't get it signed. No. Uh, well, I you know I used to uh, because once the pandemic pandemic hit, Trace and I stopped performing live. That's where I mm. used to people used to be able to get signed copies was mm. at our merch table um and uh that was a big part of our shows was uh trace and i would set up our merch table in the lobby uh before our show and and after so we so it was great because um we always spent any time we weren't on stage we were out in the lobby meeting our fans which was great you know we one of our first gigs was uh, in this this really great club in Chicago, but they put us. The green room was like this dank basement, and we were sitting there, and we were like, "This is really depressing." And so we just went upstairs and hung out at the bar, and then we met all our fans. And then from that day on, we were never in a green room again for our mm. shows. We always uh, um, set up a merch table and 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 sold our merch but we also got to talk to our fans and um you know and that that's one of the aspects of live performing that i i really miss i i think that's a neat aspect to the mads are back in a way that you can have this live chat like obviously you guys can't interact with it so much but it at least kind of gives you that you know that live audience while still being able to be where everyone is socially distant you know online however makes it convenient for everyone so it kind of like it just brings it a little step in the right direction, but obviously, you know, nothing touches a true life performance and having all the fans there and, and that energy is, is unmatched. But it's cool to have a, an element of that with the Mads are back. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a fun part of it. And we're very grateful to be doing the digital shows. Um, uh, to have that option was a real lifesaver when the pandemic hit, let me mm. tell you. Well, right. you know, something something Tim and I were saying to uh, Chris was, you know, during the pandemic, the, the show really helped us get through a week. You know, it, it's, it's really was a special thing because, you know, you can't go anywhere, can't do anything. And you guys would have a random Tuesday night event. And it's yeah. like, oh, wow, look at this. Look at this thing that's happening. And uh, it's this Tuesday and it's it's cheap money and we can go and have a have a two and a half hours of fun. And there's a Q&A and you guys would get guests. And yeah. Um, the, and, the, you know, the Q&A kind of uh, it came uh, accidentally. We weren't even planning on that. But what happened was we one of our first when we first started doing it, we were doing films that we had done live. And uh, one of the first films we did was the Vincent Price movie, The The Tingler. And uh, I forget who, but... um, uh, Or or I think she could... Like, Prince... uh, Vincent Price's daughter contacted us. Oh, Victoria Price. Yeah, and said... And and we were like, well, let's have her on for a and a And that was our first Q&A. And she was delightful, you know. And uh, so so that was like another example of just something spontaneously c- coming to be. And now we wouldn't think of doing the show without a Q&A. 
Right. It is a fun part. I, I really love the mm-hmm. Q&A section. Mm-hmm. Victoria Price is, is very nice. I, I met her years ago at a con. She, she's uh, The stories yeah. that, that woman has. Oh, I know. I so know. precious as a fan of her and when, and Yeah, and we the one thing we all have in common with her is that we, we love Vincent Price, too. So. Right. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Get along um, on that. Oh, man, you know, I still haven't seen that episode of the Mads are back. I, I know you guys did that and I got to go mm-hmm. back. But luckily you can you can watch you can purchase old episodes on the uh, on the website. Yeah, we have a whole library now of, of episodes really cool. available. Yeah, people can buy super yeah, the awesome. on demand aspect makes it extra fun for yeah. people who are just learning about it now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as we're kind of r- winding down with our, our time with you this evening, I know you're, you're, the chaise is comfortable. You're probably tempted to stay. But um, <laughs> uh, So Mystery Science Theater is the elephant in the room. If we could ask you just a few more things about, sure, whatever about you Mystery want. Science Theater. So in 1990, you were initially hired on the show as a as head writer. No, no. Um... Uh, that's fake news. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I, I was we hired, want the real news. I was hired as a writer, but uh, Mike Nelson was already the head writer when I okay. was. And he was always the head writer the whole time okay. I was there. So. Uh, so you were a writer on the show, and then you transitioned, and that was before you were approached to be an actor, right? Like you were first just a writer. Yeah, I was uh, hired as a writer, and... Um, uh, Jay Elvis had left the show and I was replacing him as a writer, but um, uh, I think it was always in their mind that I would probably be his replacement on camera as well. But it, oh, wasn't, okay. it wasn't when I was first hired, though, that wasn't a subject. It was just, you're, you're, our, you're our new writer. And I was so thrilled about that, that um, I wasn't even thinking about um, whether I'd be on the show. And then... And then I think they did a uh, a test with me in the costume and everything, and and apparently the camera loved me, so <laughs> I I just uh, um, so then it was a foregone conclusion after that that I would be um, the bumbling uh, mad scientist assistant, the lovable bumbling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the spit yes. curl probably just happened, right? You just you showed up with that, and you're like, "What? This is me. This is just me." <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so is it true, is this also fake news, is it true that it, it was primarily your job to actually find the films that you Oh, guys- no, that's, that's, that's uh, absolutely true. Um, uh, because as, of I've, as I pointed out before, um, uh, everyone on the staff, on the writing staff, had another duty besides being a writer. Um, uh, Mike Nelson did all the music for the show. Kevin Murphy was the editor of the show. He was in the editing bay when he okay. wasn't in the writing room. Um, uh, uh, Joel and uh, and Trace were designing the sets and coming up with the props and stuff like that. Oh. Um, and I, but I was the only one on staff with no other talent except watching television. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when the, when it, when it it came to be decided that someone should screen the films before someone should watch the entire films before we decide to uh, riff them. Um, then that job fell to me and, and I was, ha- I was happy to do it because as uh, I don't know if you know this, but what happened was one of the first films we did when I was there was this film called side hackers 
um, which was a biker film. And um, it, it, you know, we watched like 20 minutes of it. Oh, this is, this will be great. And then we, 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 we got the rights to it and everything. And then we, when we, we went to write the whole film, we saw, oh my God, there's this horrible rape scene, you know, that we had no interest in writing riffs for. We cut the scene out. But the point was, let's screen these films and make sure that they're appropriate for the kind of um, sensibility of this show. Right. And I've heard you talk many times about, uh, well, not just you, but other, other cast members and writers uh, from the show say that, like, you know, not every movie ends up being really that riffable like it might even if the subject matter is okay it's like sometimes it's just like yeah no there were and, and when i screened the films like most of the films i watched were not riffable they were either they were so bad you couldn't hear or see what was going on <laughs> or or you know if they have too much dialogue in them that's a problem because you need space for the riffs right um, yeah you can't just be talking over you can't you know. be talking over people it doesn't work as well um uh, so there are all kinds of factors like that, you know, um, that lead to you deciding uh, which film to do or not. Well, thanks to your, you know, efforts, your toils, your labor of love, whatever it may be. We, the world has rediscovered films like Manos, Hands of Fate, Monster at Go-Go, Zombie Nightmare, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, Teenagers from Outer Space, Ega, Pod People, so many more. I have no idea how many others. I mean, Frank... From all of us to all of you, thank you, sir. <laughs> well, thank, well, thank you. Uh, all of me and both, both of me appreciate that. Oh, good. Um, well, you know, we just had uh, a man, uh, man called Frank Dietz on the show. Is that's that's what he's called? Mm. And Frank Dietz is uh, was the cop in Zombie Nightmare. Um, oh, cool! And he actually uh, he's also in uh, Black Roses, and he had a string of uh, fun. Uh, 80s horror movies he also did the the wonderful beast wishes documentary about bob burns bob and kathy burns which mm -hmm. is out there and you should definitely see but anyway um he was saying you know he owes so much to to you frank because uh he said without you he said uh you know people wouldn't have ever rediscovered zombie nightmare and it truly is one of the best episodes it's just absolutely <laughs> I mean, that's, it's so uh, good. Uh, that's the one that has adam west in it right yes yes yeah. okay yeah and he said he oh. remained friends with Adam West for years and years and years. Oh, that's cool. Well, you know, one of the uh, uh, great things, um, I don't know if it's surprising or not, but is that every um, actor that I've ever met um, that was in a Mystery Science Theater film uh, or a film that we riffed on Mystery Science Theater, they all were very happy about what we did and they were all, all thought it was funny and cool. And, um, you know, Miles O'Keefe, the star of Cave Dwellers, he, he called us up and he said, oh, man, that was great. I love that. And, uh, and Kim Cattrall who was in uh, City Limits, she ended up uh, becoming our friend and, and is a... Wow. Uh, yeah, she's a, she and Trace are good friends and, I, and I've become friends with her in the last few years. She came and uh, when we did the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, she like introduced us and stuff, you know. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she, she's a delightful person and, um, and so <clears throat> I, I love that the people that were in the films like didn't weren't insulted um 
from what I've heard, like urban legends about Joe Don Baker wanting to kill us and stuff like that. But, <laughs> but like oh, I said, those but- are just uh, urban legends. Uh, and also, like, um, what was a big deal for me was Beverly Garland, who was in those Roger Corman films, and yeah. who I grew up. I grew up watching on My Three Sons, and who's so great, and I love her. I adore her. She, she was at our first convention, and uh, she was just so delightful, and it was such a joy to meet her. And oh, wow. stuff like that is, uh, it's it's it means a lot to me that they they take it the right way, and we they they know we're not we're not trying to like trash them and stuff. We're just like having fun with a right. mo- with movies that they knew. You know, we're we're not that great, but you know, most actors, their job is to is to make something that's not that good better. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. most most yeah, of the time, that's, that's just what they're doing. I can't believe you mentioned Miles O'Keefe. I was going to ask about Miles O'Keefe, and since you mentioned him already, I'll ask about Arch Hall Jr. Did you ever meet him? Um, I've never met him. I I think Joel met him uh, like after we did the show, and and apparently he was cool about the whole thing. Nice. Um, so uh um that that I that I hope is true and and he's he's like apparently he still does personal appearances and he has a band and stuff Yeah. And, yeah, he and, still does uh, music and yeah. uh, he was in a movie a few years ago and I cannot remember what it's called but it was an anthology movie you know like a creep show type uh-huh. with um with Felissa Rose uh mm-hmm. from Sleepaway Camp and uh he was in one of the segments I when I read the the cast, I was just like, "Felissa Rose, alone away, Arch Hall Jr." Yeah, right, like, <laughs> oh my god! And you know, uh, I, this is something I only found out like a few years ago, is that his dad, Arch Hall Sr., who I, I think wrote and produced Ega and and wrote and produced The Choppers, which is a film Trace and I did that starred. Um, there's a whole movie about him. Um, I never knew it was about him. It's it's called um, The Last Time I Saw Archie. Robert Mitchum plays him in the movie. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, and the movie was directed by Jack Webb and starring Jack Webb. And um, it's a comedy. Um, and and the, the screenwriter who wrote it, um, he knew Arch Hall in the army. And apparently he was like a real operator and a con- kind of a con man and stuff. And he wrote. He wrote about. Um, uh, he wrote a movie about him, and, and Jack Webb directed oh it. And Jack Webb played the writer William Bowers. Uh, Jack Webb plays him in the movie, and Robert Mitchum plays Arch Hall. And it's not you know it's kind of just a like a middling comedy. It's not that great. It's not that. I mean, Robert Mitchum is always worth watching. But, oh, sure. And Jack Webb too, I might add. But. Um, uh, but I always, I, I the whole time we were doing the show, I, I, I was aware of that movie the last time I saw Archie, but I never uh, knew that it was literally about Arch Hall Senior. That is, that that is, is yeah, wild. Yeah. Absolutely blown my mind. Yeah. I've had, always it, had it, totally, weird... it totally blew my mind when I first <laughs> found out about it. Un- unbelievable. Um, I, I've always had just a weird fascination. I just love the E-Guy episode. And, and uh, it's it just, you guys are so ruthless with making fun of him and his hair and you know he's uh, the cabbage he's the cabbage patch elvis and i just i just felt like i, I just well, I, I think um wonder you know after trace and i did the choppers and <clears throat> one thing i i think is kind of touching is is the is is the fact that arch hall senior 
was very supportive of Archall Jr. and really oh, thought yeah. he thought he had the makings of like another Elvis yes. or something. Yes. And 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 put up his own money or raised the money, however he did it, to uh to make these movies starring his son. And mm-hmm. and I think there's something very sweet about that. Yeah, I agree. Really I yeah. really agree. Yeah, there is that. And uh, honestly, the the sadist is uh, Archibald Junior's best performance. It's actually mm-hmm. he's he's pretty good in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to like one more thing, and then I want to get to some. We have a couple of uh, uh, more than a couple um, questions from our from our Facebook group from our Retroids. I want to get to before you get out of here. But I just had to. I have to ask you this, and there's a little preamble. So one of my favorite things about the show is to, you know, you got you and Trace, you, you know, your, you know, your segments were always so incredibly funny. And I love how, you know, whenever it was either Joel or it was Mike, and they would do these things where they would sort of reenact a scene that was just recently in the movie, they would sort right. of just reenact it very cheaply. And you guys usually did not get involved with that. Usually that's a that's a Joel or Mike and the bots sort of a deal. That's one of their things mm. that they do. And I just, my favorite episode of all time is Pod People, by far. Yeah. And, <laughs> and one of the greatest of all time uh, songs from the show is definitely Idiot Control Now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, they're the, the, oh my God, the moment when they are doing the Idiot Control Now, Idiot Control Now, and then they, the camera goes to you and Trace, and you guys are also just in on it, and you're just having fun for no reason at all, right. and you're just in costume and everything, and, and Trace says the line, you know, you know, he's pretty good, and then there's you with your I'm a virgin shirt, and you're just twisting there, and you're like, good. <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that moment, fun. that moment, so <laughs> my question is this, do you know are you privy to the recent uncovered information about that that virgin shirt? I am not. Um, I, I, I'm I'm wondering if it's been updated to uh, I'm an incel shirt, but no. uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm not privy to any any tangible things. Okay, so here here it is, real quick. There's a company called Severin Films. Okay, mm-hmm. they are releasing a super deluxe Blu-ray of. The movie Pod People that became that was also called po- called Pod People, but they're using uh, the name Extraterrestrial Visitors, mm-hmm. and the there's various tiers. You can just get the Blu-ray, or you can get you know some extras or this or that, whatever. Well, the big like bomb diggum Trumpy version comes with a whole bunch of stuff, including a, a plush Trumpy mm-hmm. and also an I'm a Virgin shirt. But the great thing about it is it is so incredibly accurate that you get to see it for the first time the actual shirt says i'm a virgin islander the word islander is underneath the word virgin really really small oh wow so we were misinterpreting it this whole time right this whole time so i go back and i'm like wait a second hold on a second right so i go back and i found a screen cap of the guy from the actual movie Uh, you know the good he's the best guy mm -hmm. and uh sure as shit you can you can see under the word virgin there is a blob of text that you cannot read because the quality of the film is so terrible but uh-huh. sure enough, it definitely says it must say Islander. And of course, that makes it totally funny. And so it's like, okay, the reason, because yeah. my whole life loving this episode, I'm like, but why? 
why does this shirt exist? Why would this character wear this shirt? I don't understand why the shirt exists, why they put it in this movie. And the the fact is that it's actually a pretty funny tongue-in-cheek joke that we could never actually get because the right. quality of the movie was so it's, bad. It's like something you'd buy when you in a tourist shop when you went to the yeah. Virgin Islands, right? right? Yeah. Right. Well, like, that that yeah, kind of yeah. uh, uh, puts things in perspective that I'm not it's, sure I wanted to know. Uh, isn't that <laughs> so funny, yeah. though? Like, that it's is so just crazy. so funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's written so much smaller than the rest of the typeface. Yep. Yeah, well, I think that's the point, too, you know. But, yeah. but you know, if, uh, you know... This is what, um, you know, 4K restorations or right. Blu-ray were made for yeah. so that you can read right. the text on right. people's T-shirts. Yeah. It's kind of like if uh, there's that T-shirt, the, uh, you know, I got lost at the gay dolphin, you know, and mm. it's, it's like if you only saw the words gay dolphin really big, mm. you know, in a, a really you know, right. lo-fi screen or something, you're like, why does the shirt say gay dolphin? I don't understand. Mm. Like, um, <laughs> so Joe, I know you had a couple of questions for Frank before we get yeah. to the retro. So stuff. I just want to say that uh, your chemistry with, with uh, Trace is just amazing. And uh, I'm sure there was like moments where you had, you know, hard time uh, recording your parts. So like, was, was it like a, a specific episode or skit that you guys had trouble getting through? Um, I I know we there were. Um, uh, I, I and, and the only reason I can remember one is because it was used in a blooper reel or something. Um, was the one where I'm trying to say I don't think on Soul Brother, uh, <laughs> and I. For some re- reason, I couldn't get it out, and I, I I just broke up laughing. There was a lot a lot of that happened. I think that probably happened on most of the sketches we did, where there would be takes ruined because uh, we were laughing uh, so hard, you know. Yeah. Um, so that that was like part of the fun of 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 doing those sketches. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite things is like watching actors just breaking out of character because they just can't control themselves. (laughs) Trying not to laugh. Like, like with Saturday night live, like I love watching some of these older skits where they just can't keep together, but they, they have to. Yeah. I was just on, on TikTok. I I just saw, um, one of the Debbie Downer skits where they're, Oh yeah. uh, I love the, I know, I know. Um, And, uh, yeah, they're at, and they're at um, Disney World, and yes, and Lindsay Lohan is in it, and and they can't keep it together, and the audience loves that when that yeah. happens, you know, That's and it's almost it's almost the kind of thing um, where professionally, um, as a performer, you have to try not to do that because. It, the audience loves it so much that you know. Then you could just crack up during every sketch, uh, sketch, and yeah. you know it, it. It becomes like a crutch almost. Yeah, you know, it becomes. A, it, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what I was going for. It, be, it can become a crutch, but I think in the in this case, um, it's just very genuine, and uh, and it just. Um, it just adds to the enjoyment of the, you know, Carol Bur- on the Carol Burnett show that used to happen all the time. Oh yes, and it was, yeah. It was yeah. Really, yes, I was just really, say really fun uh, when it did. But they didn't do it, you know. 
they didn't overdo it, I don't think, but um, right. Yeah, Tim Conway and, and Harvey Corman. And Harvey Corman, yeah. They Harvey couldn't... Corman could not freaking hold it together yeah. whenever Tim Conway was there. All yeah. Tim Conway had to do is just look at him. Mm, and he yeah. was just so dead serious. And I feel like Tim Conway... Never I played. had that, I had that too, I think, with um, one of the sketches where <clears throat> I think where Mike was playing Torgo, delivering, oh, delivering pizza. And yes. I couldn't look at him without laughing. And uh, it would that was I remember that was a struggle to to, to get a, a usable take out of that. <laughs> nice. Oh man, that's freaking hilarious! I feel yeah. like I, I feel like we saw some of that too in uh, in when we were doing Golden Girls when we were watching that. Like you see certain episodes where they all they all all the actors play it so straight, mm-hmm. and then sometimes just one of the lines, you know, Betty White will say something or someone says something and it catches them so sideways that like they're in the take having to like muster up everything to oh not break. yeah and those yeah. moments and when, are, are huge they're, especially they're really when it was b arthur breaking you know because yeah. she you oh, know yeah, that, she's that was the hard like thing the, to do. plays it the straightest of anyone yeah yeah yeah, yeah no totally the, those <laughs> moments are infectious but you don't you yeah. don't want to give into them too much in, in fact infectious is exactly the word for that kind of thing yeah, uh, Tim, do you want to do you want to ask about Invader Zim real quick? Uh, I I do. I know we're kind of running close on time here. So, um, Frank, we you know got to see you do so many great things with Mystery Science Theater and everything, but you also have written for Invader Zim, and I wondered Ooh. if you you know could talk a, a little bit about uh, how you became involved with that project. Uh, just um, for- well, um, my working on Invader Zim was one of the rare instances when I lived in LA where my, my agent actually got me a job. That oh, happened wow. very rarely. Weird. You know? Most times I got jobs, like when I worked on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, I got jobs because I knew people. And then like on someone I knew from Sabrina was the showrunner of Drew Carey. So I got to work on that. You know, that that's mm-hmm. like mostly kind of how I got jobs. But, um, uh, but this was a case where my agent, uh, um, sent me to Nickelodeon. They were looking for a uh, for a writer for this show they were developing called Invader Zim, and um, uh, and so I just went and I met with uh, uh, I met with the people there. I met with uh, uh, Jonah Vesquez, um, and uh, and I'd been given material uh, uh, to read before I went there and. I forget what it was, but I mentioned in our meeting to Jonah that, you know, uh, I really, I thought this particular thing, I thought that was really funny. And, and I didn't realize that, but that like so helped me get the job but just by saying that because apparently he had had a huge argument with the Nickelodeon executives who, who, who wanted him to drop it and didn't think it was funny. And then here I was coming in and saying that I thought it was funny, but... So so anyway so yeah I just got hired there and um, and I worked there um, uh, for one season and uh, and it was a great experience I, I was really happy to be there and um, and uh, the people uh, who worked on that show uh, you know the animators and the designers and the artists I mean they were all so talented and. Um, and you know, people come up to me and say, "Wow, I love Invader Zim," and, and and I always, of course, am very happy to take the compliment. But I really, the the, the greatness of that show, I I have to say, I didn't have as much to do with it as as 
as Jonah and and the and the and the artists and the designers and 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 all the people who who worked on that show. You know, I mean, it's right. re- it's a real. I, I it, it's a really. I, I feel completely unself conscious saying it's a great show because it's not great because I was there. It's just great. Yeah, wow. you just you contributed to it, but the the ball yeah. was in motion, you know, yeah. for, for being the show that it was. Yeah, exactly. And and I and I, and most people I know um, in animation uh, agree that Nickel- Nickelodeon made a huge mistake by canceling it. You know, yep. that it probably yeah. would have been a SpongeBob level cultural yeah. phenomenon if they had kept it on the air. But um, yeah, you know, they they made the wrong decision there. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a show that I think, you know, at the time was was really out there in a breath of fresh air and, and I knew everyone I knew loved it and then just the fact that it got pulled was kind of that thing we were talking about of stuff being, you know, maybe too risky, maybe not, you know, worth it to a company and, and they just get gun shy and they pull the plug too early. And it's like I mean, Netflix did that movie in twenty nineteen, uh, to bring that you know that world back a bit so mm-hmm. there was obviously still an appetite for it for them to do that which is great yeah um but yeah it's it's definitely a cool unique show um of of the episodes that you did write do you have a particular favorite um i don't you know what i i i, I don't have a specific enough memory of 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 that it was all kind of one thing to me because you know the way animation is made it's it's not like in live action where you write the show and then you tape it on Friday and then, you know, I mean, kind of everything mm-hmm. kind of happens at once when you're working uh, on a show yep. like that. Yep. Um, and, uh, and then one other question is, you know, you, so you had mentioned uh, Sabrina, you had mentioned uh, you had, we had worked with animation briefly with 101 Dalmatians. I, I saw there was a, Oh, a, I did. A that was skit. very, that was very brief. Briefly, I, I think I was supposed to write episodes of that, and, and what happened was I got too busy. So mm-hmm. one one instance in my life where I was I had to turn down work. Believe me, that doesn't <laughs> happen often. Uh, um, so yeah, I didn't. I, I I think I would have been on the staff of that, but then I got hired on Sabrina, and like my my agent had to finesse it and say. Frank can't work here, and they they were pretty kind of pissed, pissed. I think, but but then I ended up um, working with one of the Disney executives again, and he was cool about it. So oh, good. That was cool. Nice. That was okay. Nice. nice. I'll 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 end this uh, this with the the question I have, which is, you know, I would love to see you write for a original cartoon. Was that something you've considered, or something? Oh, that I've yeah, I've about? always um um. I've I've done various things through the years. I I've, I've done pilots. I did a pilot for um for Nickelodeon International uh uh several years ago called uh, Akihabara at Deep, which was a which was an anime thing and they actually flew me to Tokyo to meet the company that was making. It was like an incredible wow. experience wow. and um it would have been a great thing to do but then it, it was just it just never got picked up you know mm. and there's a couple wow. of others um i did um i did motor city with chris parnowski at his animation company and then i think he ended up doing it years later with someone else but i you know when i did it it was a pilot for mtv 
um, and and it it didn't get picked up. You know, that, mm. that's just a very common thing in in yeah. the, in the biz. You know, but I but I I, I would have loved to have. Um, gotten on an animated show or created an animated mm. show that, that, that would have gotten picked up. And, and, and I, I've, I've, through the years, like I've, I've schemed with, with, with artists and animators to come up with pitches for shows, but like no, nothing ever really like took off from that. Seems like Billy Gillis would be just a really perfect thing to adapt for a company like DreamWorks or Pixar or something like that. It seems like there's from, a lot of heart there. From your mouth to God's ear, you know. Uh, well, we, you know, he's. I got him on speed dial. Oh, well, good. Yeah, I would. <laughs> he, like, he actually I, watches the show. So I think any number of my books would uh, are um, very viable IPs. <laughs> I'm the only one who thinks that. So <laughs> <laughs> we think it too, Frank. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no awesome. problem. Great. Well, um, yeah, thank thank you for that insight there, Frank. I mean, it's you know. It's just interesting to to kind of to think about, and it would be awesome to to see you know a, a show with your name as as writer on it because you're such a, a funny man and you have so many you know great ideas for stuff mm. like this that oh, uh, it just you. makes perfect sense. You know, you're like you've said your level of like you know stupid silly yeah, like right. cartoons just mm. make a lot of sense. Uh, as, as yeah, a, as well, a maybe you know, maybe maybe it'll happen at some point. You never know. You yeah. never know. Uh, I'm I'm in a I'm in a ver- the thing is is I'm in a very um, lucky position right now in 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 my career where where Trace and I are actually making a living from yeah. doing our monthly shows That's and then so I, and then hear. I'm able to create things on my own that I can have complete creative control over and yeah. it's 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 really great you know I would love for something like that to happen but uh, I'm I'm very grateful for where I am right now. That's amazing. You know, I tell everybody about the Mads are back, and uh, I I truly truly am a big fan, and I think everybody should yeah. check it out. And I think it's, it's you know I you know I said this to Chris. I, I think it's the best version of all the the spinoffs. Um, it's my personal favorite. Seeing you oh, and Trace, thank you. Uh, it is. You know, a seeing you and Trace actually get to riff together is is so special as a it's, fan. Yeah, we have a great time, and and and. Trace always makes me laugh whenever we're riffing. Uh, I love that. He, yeah, I love it. Would you laugh with at him? Funny, really <laughs> funny lines. Uh, sometimes just off the cuff that really catch me. Awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have just a, a few more uh, retroid questions I will get to right now. So sure. we have uh, Colleen the Conqueror asked a couple of questions already. She uh, One of the Invader Zim questions was hers. I just want to shout out to Colleen. Thank you for the questions. Uh, she also says, you've portrayed yourself as so many characters throughout the years. Do you find that you have one that you carry around with you or that occupies your headspace more often than others? Of of characters that I've played, I think I've only played one character by whole. Um, so it's uh, an easy question. Then. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, I carry. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm always um, uh, basically played a version of myself in anything I've ever played. You know, but I did on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I did. I did play a fully grown infant. You know. And that that was um, a very memorable experience. That's my I think that's my other great role besides TV's Frank is Rudy oh. Rudy Kazuti, the forty year old baby. Um, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> oh man, what about Moodsy Owl? Oh well, yeah. I mean, I've I've in in live shows and stuff that that was a character I played, Moodsy, the clinically depressed owl, in my show Cartoon Dump, which I did in L.A. and in New York uh, for a while. Um, that's something I might revive at at some point. I still I still have the owl costume, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I I, uh, I have a good friend uh, who lives out in L.A. Who, uh, when I told him that you were coming on the show, he he was very excited, and he said that uh, he had seen you numerous times uh, doing oh, cartoon. Oh, yeah, that was in, that in was uh, really fun doing that show, and um, uh, it could it could come back if I ever go out and uh, do live performances again, which I hope to do. Uh, I, I am getting out and doing some stand-up and stuff these days, but oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Well, you're in New York. We're in Massachusetts, so we got to uh, keep an eye on the calendar, and we'll oh, we'll cool. have to come where, out. Where, where in uh, where in Massachusetts are you? Uh, we're like the Worcester area, so it's it's okay. about forty about forty minutes from Boston. Oh, nice, nice, kind of. Uh, yeah, not too bad. So, uh, also from Colleen, she says Sabrina the Teenage Witch has a was a super fun show mm-hmm. to watch. Agreed. Um, not to eat, but to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any favorite stories or celebrity interactions from working on and appearing on that show? Obviously, you just told us the baby, but is there anything else? Oh well, there were. Um, uh, well, first of all, it was a great staff to work with, and um, uh, Nick Bakai, who was the voice of. Uh, Salem the cat Um, he was also a writer on the show and he's like one of the funniest people ever so to work (laughs) to work with him was 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 amazing and and the whole writing staff was was great on that show and um and I did have um some really good celebrity encounter maybe that's the only show I've ever done that like where I really met a lot of celebrities but uh we had the cast of Laugh In for one show, and that oh, was wow. a, that was a joy. Joanne Worley and Ruth Buzzy, oh, wow. um, and Alan Seuss, and uh, it was great to meet and hang out with those people. Uh, Shirley Jones was on an episode. Uh, oh from, wow! From the, and she was just so sweet and delightful. Um, uh, Dom DeLuise was on an wow. episode. It was it was thrilling to meet him <laughs> and. Uh, um. Uh, yeah, and there were uh, Steve Allen was on, was one, and I got to meet oh, him and, and stuff. And uh, yeah, there were a lot of and and one of our cast members um, was was a guy named Paul Feig, uh, who, who who went on to become a hugely successful filmmaker and producer, and and is one of the nicest guys ever. So. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really good experience. I was on that show for like four seasons. It was great. Wow, nice. very yeah. cool. Yeah, that that's, is really, that's really awesome. Cool. So many great stories there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so last question from uh, Dustin Braga. He asks, "You have worked where he says he gets to his question. You have worked as a writer on many prolific series over the years. In case you didn't know, Frank, mm-hmm. solidifying yourself as an incredibly strong comedic writer." In projects where you both write and act, have you ever had a moment where you questioned something you wrote while shooting it? Like, why did I write that moment? <laughs> and if so, uh, do you change the line on the spot or do you just kind of grit your teeth and mm-hmm. work through uh, it? Well, you know, when you when you work on um, in, in Hollywood on a sitcom like I did on uh, Sabrina and the Drew Carey show, um, like so much stuff 
gets gets rewritten in the process between writing the script and then doing the table read and then doing the run through and then the t- and then filming the show um, and you're always um, uh, you're always rewriting stuff uh, and that's like kind of one of the professional skills you need to have I think to be a comedy writer is, is the ability not just to come up with stuff but the ability to think on your feet and change a line and also not become uh, precious about your work you know and um, not become too attached to it you know because because you you and you might not even agree with someone saying oh you have to change that we need a different line there you you might not agree with it but if you're not the showrunner yourself um then, then it's your job to ch- to change the line and hopefully come up with a better one. So, um, so I think in the process of working on a show like that, um, you 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 don't even have the luxury of saying why did I write that? You know, <laughs> you're you're like uh, you're like uh, yeah, I did write that, and now it has to change, and nobody likes it. So. Why did I write it? Because I thought it was good. Hey, guess what? I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, or, or or something along those lines. You know, um, but uh, but but that situation that that the questioner asked, like, were you ever in that situation? Like writing on TV shows, you're in that situation like every day. You know, wow. of like having to change yeah. stuff. You just got to have thick skin and not take yes, it personally. Yes, and 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 you do, and and. I didn't always have thick skin. Sometimes I did take it personally, you know, and, and it, but it's, you know, but the way to be a professional is, is to not storm out of the room and throw things and say, how dare you question my genius, you know. I the, am TV's Frank. Yes, exactly. The, the professional thing is to just sit down and go, okay, what, what can we come up with right. now? Right. Yeah. I played Hamlet so at Cambridge. Attached. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Not to get too overly attached to any one idea, and just to keep creating and keep going, and not yeah. put all your eggs in any one basket. Because you know the way that other people look at things is they have to be critical and unbiased, and they have to you know honestly be looking for what they want. So sometimes what you make isn't perfect, and it's it's not. Yeah, easy or to, it might be it might be good to your way of thinking, but you know the people who are firm. who are people who are paying for the show. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they they might not really know what the hell they're doing, but if yeah. if, if they tell you, uh, you know, um, they'll give you notes, and you, and you just have to address them. And I think the people who are really good at working in Hollywood, um, who who produce you know quality stuff, I think a lot of it is that they figured out how to navigate all of that and to you know to address one note. Um, uh, so they don't have to address another note. You, you know what I mean? So they, they yep. can they can get the stuff in that they like. The the example of that that comes to my mind is is uh, Martin Scorsese in Casino had um, the guy where he the guy's head is in a visor and his 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 eyes pops out and uh, he actually filmed you seeing the eye pop out because he knew they would tell him you have to take that out. And so then he still was able to show the rest of the scene, which was yeah. still pretty gnarly anyway, you know. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. 
That's 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 really cool though, and uh, and that's definitely a talent to have. It's not something that you might uh, expect to need, uh, but yeah, anticipating oh, yeah, being able to react and just kind of keep it keep it loose. Well, re, you know, the the key to writing, even ju- even just writing um, uh, on my own, the key to writing is rewriting. You know, and all yeah. of my books, I do like at least fifteen drafts of all of them, and 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 I do a lot of re- revisions and. Um, just keep changing it and, and hopefully making it better, you know. Yep. And then you got to just know when enough is enough and you got to stick that fork in no yep. matter what. And you get to yeah, that point you're like, that, nope, well, walk yeah. away. Well, yeah, at a certain point I just get <laughs> sick of it. And go. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's that yeah. it's that old adage, you know, it's never going to be perfect. Art is never finished. It's just it's just abandoned. So it's just it's, yeah. it's very it's true. It's true. It's very yeah. true. Yeah. It's very true. Um, Frank, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an absolute freaking blast Total to have joy. you on. Absolute, absolute just childhood dream come true. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you for having me. It was really fun. Oh, awesome. awesome. That I'm is, glad that is, to hear it. Yeah. That's so great. Um, great. Is there anything you want to say before we get out of here, before we let you out of the brig? Well, we um, – uh, um, I'm actually um, – I'm actually now I'm like uh, James Whitmore in Shawshank Redemption. I'm getting oh. to I'm getting to like prison life. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I you know we already plugged my book, so we did that. And and I'll just tell people the second Tuesday of every month that uh, that they can tune in uh, to the Mads are back, um, uh, where we do a new riff of a movie i don't know what the movie for next month is going to be yet but it's going to be something crappy so i know i would i hope so <laughs> that's why i'm here mm-hmm. yeah so everybody go to dumb-industries.com there's a bunch of dumb stuff a bunch of stupid dumb stuff for you to enjoy including uh you know old episodes new episodes t-shirts signed books of franks and Posters, they have you guys have a great poster artist that does stuff. For yeah, we really episodes. do. I mean, just absolutely awesome, really, really great stuff. Very unique artist, and uh, there's always a, a new print for each episode, and I love that. I love seeing what the new, uh, the new one is. Even the shorts get great posters, you know. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, gotta be kind of tough, I would mm-hmm. think. And the new one has the guy with the mylar right in the front, it's yes, the, the big sheet of mylar, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> also, if you if you guys listen to that, uh, shorts number 11, the word mylar will be forever broken, yes. For you. For those of you who love the word mylar previously, or know. who have never thought whether or not they do or not, like it's mm-hmm. it's not something that comes up all the time. But after that episode, you'll know for sure. So uh, so from all of us to all of you, thank you guys for listening. Uh, it has been an absolute blast. That wraps up the episode. Thanks to Frank Conniff and thanks to the Mads are back. We certainly hope you've enjoyed this week's bonus journey over the treacherous waters of. All the things that made growing up awesome. If you like what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and or Twitter. As well as being part of the Inebriart Podcast Network, Retro Reductopus is also a full-fledged member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So, if you get a chance, please check out our sister shows like Shark Bites, That Strange Show, the East Meets West podcast. Then is now Amalga Files. Hey, you know, there's like 30 shows on the network and they're all cool. Frank. I mean, you got to back me up on this one, right? They're, they're all it's good stuff. I'm totally backing you up. It's to, I, I mean, it's good stuff. Right? A ringing endorsement. 
He knows. He knows. <laughs> For more information or to subscribe to us or any of these great shows, please visit thedorkening.com and be sure to check out our killer sponsor, Deadly Grounds Coffee, Coffee to Die For. I have been your host, Parasite Steve, a.k.a. TV's Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve of something or another. I, I can't even remember my, my home address at this moment. And it, and it has indeed been a, a sad thing. I gotta I gotta go to bed. I gotta uh, have a snack. My blood sugar's low. Woo! No, this has been an honor, Frank. Honestly, well, well, thanks a lot. It was it was fun. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, welcome back anytime. If you got a book, Uh, hey, uh, do you think there's any chance in hell we could get Trace on the show, or does he not really do podcasts? He he's a little more reluctant uh, than, but but I'll put in a good word for you. Would you? he's, He's been known to do them. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.